Good morning. Before I get started, um, just by you know being, you know, going through service with all of you, I, I kind of get the feeling you know, there were a lot of a lot of needs this week, a lot of prayers going up to to God, uh, a lot of needs, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of worry, a lot of doubt. Um, you know, there are times when we're tested by those things, uh, but not by God. You know, the world, uh, the devil, whatever. I mean, there are times life intrudes and invades upon us and it can really test us. But God makes it clear that you know, He wants us to go before Him boldly, to come boldly before the throne of grace. Don't, don't go before God, you know, dear Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, I really... No, go boldly before God with thanksgiving in your heart, bringing your prayers and your petitions to God. And uh, he desires that from us. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be with you. Uh, there's something about taking our prayers and, and relying upon God. And I know that sometimes we pray to God, and, you know, is, is he listening? Is he there? What's going on? Uh, but there's a, a connection there that, uh, that you have with the Father. And so I would encourage all of you, if anybody's having a rough week, as you know, a lot of us are having, uh, be in prayer. Be in prayer. I've heard many of you say that before. God can do miracles. God can still do miracles. God still loves the world. He still cares about us. He hasn't forgotten us. Take time to go boldly before God and ask Him your prayer, your supplication, whatever it is that you need. He desires that. He wants that from His church. So uh, I just wanted to encourage you as we get going this morning, you know, thinking about you know, all of the needs that we have. Don't give up praying to God. Don't give up. Uh, don't use it as an afterthought or, well, I guess I better pray. But go boldly before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, this is what's going on. This is my need. And uh, won't you help me? Won't you be my God? And, uh, and we love Him for that. So, well, I've been talking about the family and uh, I want to continue to do that a little bit here today. Last week we talked about uh, single mothers. Uh, how you know, to me they're like Wonder Women. You know, just amazing how so many of them work so hard to keep the family together. And and you know, we talked a little bit about marriage. And I want to go into marriage a little bit today. And and uh, there's uh, love seems to be in the air this time of year. I don't know what it is the fall, but. Up at Graham High School, all the kids are trying to outdo one another with inventive ways of asking dates to homecoming. Hoko, you know, homecoming, you know, question mark, and oh, yeah, is he? You know, they, they just love it. And then they, I uh, saw one guy uh, had a stack of softballs and they wrote letters on all the balls. I mean, just all kinds of stuff to be creative. And my, my own son shocked me this week. He, uh, he ended up, uh, he's going to the homecoming with a real live girl. I couldn't believe it. And I, I came into class one day, and all his buddies are in my class. Now, Kalen, just, he's a freshman now at the high school, so I got a lot of his buddies in class. And I walked over to his, his real good friend, Jason, and Jason goes, have you heard? And I said, I heard what? He goes, about your son? I'm like, what did he do? Great. He's a He's going to homecoming. I'm like, what? Really? And he told me, yeah, it went down right in front of my locker. I saw it with my own eyes. 
So I said, wow, you know, and, and, and the girl that, a- actually, she asked him. I kept trying to, you know, get him, you ought to ask somebody, you know, and he's like, mm. So apparently she walked up to him and he goes, hey, Kalen, uh, how about homecoming? Why don't we just go to homecoming? And he goes, what? Why? <laughs> I mean, sure, you know, and it just... And uh, so it just, it, you know, it was really fun. It was really, really cool for me to watch him come out of his shell. And wow, even Kalen's starting to grow up too. It's unbelievable. And uh, there was a marriage over the weekend up in Michigan. I think uh, it was Josiah Kane. Some of you know the Kane family. I got married to uh, Amber, Amber McLean. That's Kyle's sister. And I saw some of the pictures and the thing and, it's always neat to go to a wedding and uh, after you've been married for a while and you're sitting there watching and I always love to tease the, the grooms, you know, they're getting ready to be married and they're all like, wow, yeah, I'm going to get married. I'm like, wow, marriage is a fine institution if you like being in an institution. They look at me like, what? I don't know if I like that. And then you sit there in the uh, ceremony and they're up there and then you... They give their vows, and many of you uh, were married in this church. I was married in this church. We stood right here, gave our vows, you know, till death do us part. And you, uh, you watch kids do that today, and you're kind of like, man, you guys have no idea what you're signing up for. <laughs> you have no idea. And there's something about listening to them give the vows, and you start to think over the course of your own marriage, Wow. You know, some of those vows are pretty serious. We use traditional vows. I think many of us still use more of the traditional vows. But uh, I've heard others, they wrote their own vows, and they, they, but still, they're a promise to one another. And really a promise based on a dream, an expectation of what marriage is going to be like. And, you know, we all get into this and have this idea. And let's go ahead to our next slide here. And, you know, for better or what... <laughs> Because marriage has so many uh, twists and turns and ups and downs that nobody could ever conceive. And many of you, most of you have been married, uh, are still married, have, have, you know, you, you've been through this, and I think you know what I'm talking about. But when young couples get married, they're pretty much operating within a bubble of delusion. Okay? This is, oh, it's going to be this, it's going to be great, and I can... Here I go with one of my stories again, but uh, this one's kind of gross, but I think it's hilarious, so I'm going to tell it anyways. We weren't, weren't married probably more than six months. This is years ago, and uh, it was the first time either one of us had gotten sick, like physically ill, and I had the flu, and I'm like, I can't go to work today, blah, blah. and you was like, I got to go to work, I got to go, and I'm like, oh, but I'm dying in here. And she leaves and goes outside, and I hear the car start up, and and then I'm and then I proceed to get violently ill. And you know, some people when they get get ill, they're kind of quiet and subdued. Some of us yell and scream and think my toenails are going to out, you know, out your mouth. You know, that's that's me, unfortunately. Then I heard the car door kind of slam, boom, and I thought. Oh, she's coming back in. 
She's coming to check on me. This is fantastic. And I'm, I'm like sick, and I'm like, my God, my wife's coming. To... And the door opens up, and in walks my dog. <laughs> He's standing there. Ah, ah. I'm just like, ah. And then I hear the car door slam again, and the car pull out, and somebody <laughs> driving away. And that was that. <laughs> she drove off. And I'm laying there like, I'm dying in here, and she drove off to work. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she sent the dog. He was a good dog, too. But I was living in this bubble of delusion. You know, marriage is, a, you know, oh, it's just going to be this great thing all the time. And, oh, wow, it's just... And then reality came about. And I'm going to show you our expectation. You know, every time we, uh, you know, go to bed, oh, it's just going to be more like this, I think. You know. Oh, well, I have to. Our dog snores. And the other day I was snoring louder than the dog. I think that's what you said. I don't remember. It was pretty bad. Let's go to the next one here. Expectation. Ah, fine dining with the wife. Reality. Uh, you end up at McDonald's because that's really about all you can, can afford. You know, so. Ah, yes. Last of the red hot lovers. We get married and we're going to be like Rock Hudson here and from here to eternity and romance on the beach. And, well, a lot of times it's more like Planet of the Apes, you know, so not exactly the, the romantic thing you, you thought it was going to be. Well, and then along come the kids. All you want to do is go out and have a nice dinner. No, you end up with that. I think we've lived that at one time or another. What else do we got here? Oh, yes. Nice adult things like, you know, nice hot tub. But the reality is, for most of us, and we end up with, you know, the West Virginia version that uh, my family grew up with, so. But uh, if we go on, there is a, there's, an, there's a difference there between what we expect and what's real, what, what life is really like. And most couples kick off their marriage hip deep in love and you're ready to go. And, you know, if you could somehow quantify it, you would, would assume, you know, you guys have all the love you'll ever need for the journey ahead. And, but it's not surprising that over time, that same love will start to look tired, weathered. It gets a little cold because we spend a lifetime of doing these things, adjusting to each other's preferences. Think about the things that, that you like that your spouse likes, or vice versa. A lot of times they're not compatible. And you thought, man, I thought we were like this, totally in sync. She wants to watch Hallmark Channel. I want to watch uh, Walking Dead. I mean, what do you do there? There's a... Trying to keep others perfect, trying to keep score. Sometimes we do that. We do that in all our relationships. Our culture kind of asks us to keep score. You got me this time, but I'm going to get you back on that. And then it becomes a sort of, a, you know, who's ahead of who and keeping score and track of wrongs done to one another. Processing the inevitable, the sometimes harsh setbacks of life. Things happen. 
We heard a lot of uh, needs today. Those things are emotional as well as spiritual and physical needs. They wear you down. Responding to all of the things that, that threaten against the commitment. When you stood before the people, before God himself, and said, I do, the two shall become one. You begin a life then of a world that wants to constantly pull you apart. And then dealing with the fact that, that both people in the marriage are selfish. We tend to want <laughs> what we want. God bless you if you're perfect and you're always looking out for the other person's needs. But in reality, a lot of times, it's, this, is, this is for me. <laughs> you can have that. But, and there's, there's selfishness that can, can happen. You've probably faced these kind of challenges and any one of them is enough to knock the smile off your face. And any of them can fuel the, the vicious circle that love often goes through, from being tested uh, to tested to just plain on getting testy with, with each other. It doesn't mean you're miserable. It doesn't mean you want out. It just means that it's hard to maintain that heart connection that you felt that that day when you, when you said, I do. Let's look at the next thing here. I think uh, this heart connection is something, you know, God says, let the two become one flesh. And we see that manifested perfectly through our children. I mean, your children are a mixture of you both. Heart connection is when two people delight in living with each other. They're living their individual lives in a way that breeds trust, and consistently adds value to your identity as a pair, as, as the little team. Any, you know, heart connection is when people are, are uh, you're in sync, you're working together to further your collective marriage. So many times we operate independently. And we, instead of adding to it, we're, we're tugging on it, we're pulling on it. Everybody in here probably knows a couple who's not connected at the heart. You, I don't know your marriages, you may be thinking that way about your marriage. I don't care if you've been married two years, if you're working on year 50, you still go through the same kinds of challenges. Everybody starts off hip deep in love. Nobody gets married saying, you know what, dear, let's get married, and then in three years we can get a divorce, and we can go to court, and we can, we can you know... Nobody wants that. But the truth is, almost half of our marriages end up in that place. I think part of it goes back to not understanding what love, I think, really is, especially a love among... Christian people. Let's move ahead. Love has certain, I think, limitations. Two kinds of love. I mean, where is the source of your love coming from? Okay? On the, on the left here, as human beings, we all have the capacity to feel this emotion that we call love. Non-believers can love one another. But 
that type of human love is, is limited. It's coming from within you and as an imperfect, fallen, sinful creature who needs grace, who needs saved by God. That kind of love, I think, is limited. None of us are perfect. I wish I was perfect. I wish I had unlimited love and I could just love like, like God loves. But I can't. I'm a man. Love, over time, can grow cold. It can get worn out. Because if that source of love comes from you alone, there's a limit to it. How much you can have. The heart of man is evil. It's desperately wicked. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag. These are all things from the Bible. On the right, we know as Christians that love, the kind of love that really I think it takes to be successful, and for two to become one, is to demonstrate and to have and to trust that the love you have flows from the Holy Spirit. It flows from God. And that love is endless. It is limitless. There's no end to that love. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the famous love chapter. And I know couples, and sometimes they go through premarital counseling, and a lot of people are like, what do you need that for? Well, some of that's important to help you realize that you're going to have your ups and downs, and that if you're only trusting in your love, there's going to be problems. Chapter 13, verse 4. Now, what we're talking about here is the kind of love that God demonstrates to us. The kind of excellent love that we can give to our spouse. That we want to share with one another. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. If you've never um, read this part of the Bible, let me read it to you. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the kind of love that comes from God. The kind of love that, that sort of comes out of the Holy Spirit. And we know the Bible teaches very clearly when we seek God, when we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, the fruits of the Holy Spirit become manifest in our own lives. We can learn to love as God loves because through His power, we start to love as God intended people to love. Not out of that limited supply that we try to manufacture out of our own hearts that we know are desperately wicked and selfish. But as we begin to turn to God, we know that there's a love that flows from the Holy Spirit that is limitless. You and I know that the daily uh, grind of life can get pretty rough and it can wear you down. 
It can wear your marriage down. Where does your love come from for your spouse? Is it something from God? Or is it from your own heart? I told my oldest son, he's, he's pretty serious with his girl. They've been dating for a long time, and he's starting to ask questions about the future and stuff. And, and uh, you know, we talked about, you know, this idea of love and, and how, uh, you know, your love needs to, to flow, you know, from, from the Spirit. Because there are going to be times, frankly, you don't, you're not going to like each other. Am I wrong? There are going to be many times, you, I don't like you. <laughs> what am I doing? Why did this happen? What was I thinking? That's a reality. That's what happens. How do you respond to that in love? If you try to respond from your own limited human failings, it's difficult. But if you rely upon God, upon His Spirit, God, show me the love the love that you have for me. Let that kind of love go forth. Let me share that with the person I love most. Let's move ahead. Um, there's a great book, if you've uh, you ever thought about your relationship and how you and your spouse, or you, for a lot of you high school kids, uh, you know, you'll be thinking boyfriends, girlfriends, some of you are getting serious. Uh, it's a book called, uh, oh, I just forgot. Oh, The Five Love Languages or something like that. Some of you have read it or have heard of it. And one of the things that the author talks about is this emotional piggy bank. A bank something we can relate to. We put money into the bank, you know, because why, why do we do that? We want to keep it safe. We want to maybe reap some uh, benefits from that. It's an investment. But to do that, you've got to take your money. You've got to put it in the bank. Okay? But if you're constantly taking money out of the bank, that has a, an opposite, a different effect as well. Now, sometimes you've got to take money out of the bank, but you can't do it all the time. It's the same thing with a marriage. I think God, the way he set us up, is to have this emotional sort of bank account. And the kind of love that God talks about, you know, is, is not a human love. It's a God thing. It's the way God loves us. And I think what God wants us to do is to make deposits into that emotional bank. Not deposits based on what you think they deserve, but because you want to model 1 Corinthians 13. Love is this. Love is that. I am... Not, uh, real impatient. Last night we got home, uh, been out, had a great, wonderful day. We pull up in the driveway, and there's a big, nice, big parking space. I just drive up by the by the house. Yola goes, "Why didn't you just park back there?" And I'm like, "Why don't you just tell me what to do, 24/7?" Whatever. She goes in the house, and I'm sitting there like, oh, idiot. All she wanted to say was, you could have parked there. That's it. She didn't mean to... At least I hope you didn't mean to think I'm some kind of an idiot. What are you doing pulling up here? <laughs> the point is, I could have made an emotional 
deposit there. I could have said, oh, yeah, I could do that. Big deal. I put just a little bit into that emotional bank account that's going to reap a benefit someday where that, that, that deposit's going to reap interest. But instead, I yanked money out of the bank. I took it away. And if you keep doing that over and over throughout your relationship where you're constantly taking out of the bank, taking and taking and taking, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. No one has the human capacity to maintain that kind of heart connection. You can't do it if all you do is take. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. And the, we need the kind of love that, that Christ has. Let's move ahead. I want to see what the next one is. Oh, yeah. I, people often ask people who've been married a long time, how did you stay a... How have you stayed together so long? Neil and I have been married 20 years. 28. Yes. <laughs> I was on the spot. 28. That's enough where a lot of younger people now are start looking at me. 28? Like, how have you made it that long? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think we learn to put up with each other. We learn we're not perfect people. We make mistakes. And we have the kind of love that God gives to us. A, a love of, of grace, of forgiveness. So I like to define grace. Giving your spouse something he or she desperately needs, but they don't deserve. If all we do is give people things we think they deserve, that's not grace. That's a payment or something. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. You know you don't deserve it, but you're giving it freely. A grace-filled marriage happens when we repeatedly choose to do one thing. We treat each other the way God treats us. Okay, I'm mad. How am I going to treat her? I better treat her the way God treats me when he's, he's upset with me, because I'm not perfect. I know I make a lot of mistakes. This quote, by the way, is a real quote. I heard this from, I uh, forget, I don't know if it was my grandparents or. They made it past 50 years married. Anybody over 50 in here? 50 years married? 55. 50. Can anybody beat 55? 55. We got 55. Yeah, Stan? How many years? 60. 60, 69 years. 59 years and two days. 59, 60, 60. That's a long time. How did you go the distance? How did you make it that far? Well, somebody told me, look, it's really simple. I mean, people, you read all these books and you know, all this. We come from a time when something's broke, you, you, you fix it, you work at it. You don't throw it away. Something my mom told me one time when, when life was tough for me is she said, you have to fight for your marriage. You've got to fight for your relationships. And people don't fight for things that are important anymore. They just give it up. You've got to fight for it. You've got to get in there and scrap. 
I started thinking about, well, that's what we do in sports, in football. We get in there and we just go. You get knocked down, you get up, you keep going. You got to scrap. You got to fight for it. You can't throw it away. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to take a look real quick. I think this attitude. Let's see. Ephesians. Chapter 5, Galatians, Ephesians, there we are, Ephesians chapter 5, we're looking at 22 to 33, so this is where marriage is like Christ in, in the church. You undoubtedly have read through this before, have heard this, but I want to read through it and just take a few minutes and, and kind of listen to what, what the Bible says about the marriage relationship and ask yourself, is this... What God would do for us. It says, wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. Now, in today's society, that throws everybody into a tizzy. What? A, wo a woman is supposed to be submissive to a man? Ah, no. You know, here we go. And they, they, they go crazy on that. Let's go into that a little bit more because, fellas, you don't have it. You know, it's not all you anyways. Therefore, be imitators of God as... Uh, where, where did I go here? I got lost. Yeah, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, if you just stop there, you're thinking, here we go. Boy, the Bible is full of male chauvinist pigs. Let me tell you what. But, fellas, it goes on. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Think about how Jesus loved the church. What did he do for his people? He died for the church. Fellas, are you willing to give it up for your wife? Totally? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. In other words, Jesus specifically gave his life for the church so that the church could be complete. It could become what it was supposed to be. Not what he wanted it for his own selfish need. I need this church to be what it's God the Father has created it to be. Husbands, your role in your marriage is to make your wife all that she was meant to be by God. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul admits, this mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. This is a team. This isn't... You're the man, you're in charge, you got to do whatever you want. she got to serve you. Now, this is about 
She's looking to you for leadership. How many men have given up the mantle of leadership and their wives have to do all the heavy lifting? They've got to keep the family moving. Many husbands have given up their responsibility. They do not love their wives as Christ loved the church. Let's move ahead here. I'm just going to wrap this up here. Um, Give them what they need, not what they deserve. Those of you who are married this week, I don't care if you're just married or if you... 60-some years. Stan, I'm counting on you this week. You're going to have to do this now. Give them what... They need not what they deserve. For example, the freedom to be different. It's all right that you're different people. Stop trying to make them into something you want them to be. How many times do people get married and you're like, why did you marry them? Well, they'll come around. I'll fix them. No, you're not. You can't fix people. You can't even fix yourself. I mean, morning people marry night people. Democrats marry Republicans. Tidy people marry messy people. God's grace doesn't think like that. His grace shows us by example how to celebrate the quirkiness of of our love. makes it easy for, for people to be unique. God loves us the way we are, as weird as we can be. You should love your spouse. They're a little different. They read comic books, and you're like, whatever, read them. If you like to visit historical graveyards, she tolerates it, okay? (laughs) Okay. It's a great joke now. Every time we go on a trip and we drive past a cemetery, oh, there's a cemetery. You want to stop? And I'm like, just keep going. I'm like, you never know who's important. might be buried over there. We need to know. Uh, uh, the freedom to be vulnerable. When's the last time you were really vulnerable with your spouse? Do you trust them to open up your heart? To tell them what it is that you're dreaming about and not fear that they're going to laugh at you? Or I mean, there's a lot of good-natured ribbing and stuff that can go on and a lot of fun that way, but when you really want to be vulnerable, when you want to open up, when you want to express yourself fully and totally, can you do that? We shouldn't have to wear Kevlar around our emotions, around our spouses. We shouldn't want to take cheap shots at each other because of the things that are on our mind, the things that we think are important and valuable. The freedom to be candid is what we're talking about. God's open to what's on our mind. We don't have time now. Read Psalm 139. I mean, it talks about about that. God sympathizes with our weaknesses. In Hebrews chapter 4, God talks about how um, He understands. We talked about that last week. He sees, He hears, He knows what's going on. Do you really know what's going on in the heart of your spouse? What it is that they're really dealing with? Or do you hide that away and pretend it's not there? Be free to be candid. The freedom to work through our failures. God doesn't encourage us to make mistakes. I mean, He just knows we're going to. He also knows that all couples sin against each other. If you've been married long enough, you've hurt your spouse. We're people, that's what we do. 
whether it's a series of daily misdemeanors or a full-blown felony against your wedding vows, you know, these sins can you know, mark the end of your marriage if, if, you, if you let it. Or it can be a gateway into something more intimate. The outcome of your sins against each other rests on where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Again and again and again, we keep talking about that. North Hills exists to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. Because as your relationship with Christ grows, guess what? You'll start to love as God loves. The benefits will show up in your relationships. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you're in high school and you got a boyfriend, a girlfriend. If you live and love God, the fruit of that Spirit will, will shine through you. And you'll be able to experience and give love as God gives love. Let's move ahead and we'll kind of wrap this up here. I forget what the... Next slide is, I don't even know. Oh yeah, you want to love your spouse? Try loving Jesus more. Because I think the closer you are with the Lord, the closer you, you move towards Him, the easier it is then for you to love. Because you can express more of the grace that He gave you. You can display that to others. To learn how to say, I forgive when you've been hurt. To learn how to be patient and kind, and gentle, and all of the other things that the Bible talks about with love. Loving your spouse, it really is possible. We all know that you're going to have times, it's going to be rough. So when you see the youngsters giving the, the vows, and I love you, you know, till death do us part, and you're like, you have no idea, kid, what you're up for. But it really is God's will for us to leave mom and dad and to find that person and, and to become joined as one. Now, that's not God's will for everybody. I know some people aren't married. They'll never be married. They don't want to be married. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul talked about it. I wish everybody was like me. <laughs> well, I don't want to be like Paul, so I, I wanted to get married. Let's move on. I don't know if there's... I think that was... Is that it? That's what I thought. Yeah. I couldn't remember if I threw on a, had a little cartoon for next week. We'll, we'll get into that. So next week, we've been talking about the family. I want to talk again a little bit next week about adventures in parenting. Many of you can relate to that. And if you're not a parent yet, you can sit there and snicker at all the trouble you caused your parents and all the problems and things that they that we have to deal with so let's pray heavenly father thank you today for your example thank you for the way that you love us the way that uh, you have showed us what real love really is not the limited finite resource that resides in the heart of man but the the love that, that comes from the holy spirit the love that we we love our spouses with a love that can help us to go 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Father, we love you for that, and we love you for your plans for the, for the family and how this creation of yours has blessed us in so many ways. Lord, help us to protect our marriages and to fight for them. In the name of Jesus, amen.